Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to an underlying problem. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theories to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to quadruple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights call 718-457-1426 or visit miningstocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters avino silver and gold mines is a low-cost high-grade producer with 27 years of operating experience in 2012 avino resumed production at its historic avino property and plans to be a multi-million ounce silver producer in three years Avino is debt-free, well-funded, and has Sprott as its largest shareholder. Avino recently listed on the NYSE MX Exchange, trading as ASM. Visit Avino online at www.avino.com. That's A-V-I-N-O dot com. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome back to the second hour of Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. Also, I want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. For the second hour, today's sponsors are Prophecy Platinum, Avena Silver and Gold Mines, and we'll be talking to David Wolfen, the President and CEO of Avino, later in this hour. Uh, Millrock Resources and American Manganese uh, is also a sponsor for this second hour. And American Manganese is a company that uh, my partner Chen Lin and I just uh, came back from visiting their project, the uh, Artillery Peak Project in uh, Arizona, which is uh, truly one of the one of the largest manganese deposits in the world, and one that uh, might have some. Pretty interesting upside potential. In any event, uh, really glad to have back with us uh, Rick Rule and Doug Casey. And when we went to the break, Doug, you started talking about cattle 
and real estate in Cairo. My goodness, I know, as I said when I talked about you two gentlemen uh, at the start of the show today, both of you think outside the box, but really, Cairo, real estate, when the city is burning, I mean, it's like Athens is burning now, too. Uh, You guys really do think outside of the box, but, but talk to us a little bit, Doug, about Cairo. Why Cairo, real estate? Doug, are you there? Oh, that's fast. That's oh, awful. Rick, are you there? I'm here. Uh, yes, okay. uh, I'm not using a headset, but I'm back. Okay, okay, Doug's back. Doug, I was just asking you, uh, Cairo, you, you mentioned real estate in Cairo. When I ask you about cattle as well, but why real estate in Cairo? Well, uh, an old friend of mine who made his fortune in New York in the 1970s, and New York, of course, you remember, it was a horrible place in the 1970s where Mm -hmm. uh, the government was bankrupt and it was crime-ridden, and it really wasn't a very nice place, and everything was rent-controlled, too. Mm -hmm. Uh, So he was able to buy these buildings uh, very cheaply and uh, bribed the tenants to give up their rent control, and then he turned them into condominiums and, he, and uh, the co-ops, and he made a fortune. And um, uh, oddly enough, uh, Cairo is similar to that. And uh, in, in downtown Cairo on the river, there are these beautiful old Bella Pope buildings with uh, high ceilings and beautiful woodwork. And since they've been rent controlled since the Nasser days, of course, they're not maintained. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, they're falling apart, but they're very, very cheap. Uh, we can buy them uh, for about, oh, I mean, they're like, they're like free. You can buy these buildings for like $20 a square foot. <laughs> very, very cheap. I mean, they're almost free. And then you pay key money to the current tenants, and things will turn around. It's all cyclical. I mean, anything can happen. We could lose 100%, but then again, we could have New York-type returns. So I like I like things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, as Rick would say, we're getting. I think we have the potential of being very well paid, mm-hmm. and our exit strategy is uh, only about two or three years out. It's not like uh, on the never never plan, which I also like. Yeah. So I, go ahead. Go go ahead. I, I was going to say that's that's Cairo, and I'm sure that there's going to be similar things like that all over the Arab world and all over Europe, but Cairo is kind of the center of the Arab world, so it's a good place to start. Okay, uh, what, cattle, you mentioned. Cattle, uh, I guess, in Argentina, right, Doug? Yes, and as, as a lot of people know, the reason why Argentina became so wealthy uh, 100 years ago was because cattle grow everywhere naturally here, uh, at least in the old days before it was uh, fenced. And then the refrigerator ship, made it possible to ship fresh beef to Europe. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's why Argentina became so wealthy. Mm-hmm. Now, the current government of Argentina is, incri- is borderline insane. It's, it's, it's like a standard deviation worse than that of the U.S., <laughs> if you can believe it. But, um, so Argentina is not the best place in the world to do business. It's a wonderful place to live. Those are two different things. And I know cattlemen haven't made any money most places in the world for a couple of generations. 
But uh, cattle herds are collapsing all over the world. The U.S. cattle herd is at its lowest level it's been in 60 years, even though we've got almost twice as many people as we did 60 years ago. And the Argentine cattle herd is, is also at about a 50-year low. And this is true basically all over the world. So um, I'm bullish on cattle, uh, to coin a phrase. Well, uh, Doug, is, is there a way for average investors to get involved in this, or, or do you really need to come in with multi-millions of dollars to start investing? I don't think there – well, there are a couple of ETFs traded in New York that invest in cows, mm-hmm. but um, the best way is to own the land, and unfortunately, land isn't cheap anymore, even in Argentina, certainly not in Uruguay, mm-hmm. and then buy the cows, and then you got to have somebody that knows how to handle them and run them. And, right. But, it, but it's, it's like the tree business, which is something that I know Rick is very familiar with and is also a good business, because every year the cows have babies, and then two years later, those babies have babies, and... You sell the young boy babies, and you breed the female babies, and so the business can grow internally very well. So I I like the cattle business now. A renewable resource, uh, definitely, unlike, uh, let's say, the precious metals that that we all like so much. Those uh, It takes millions and millions of years for those things to form, so um, it it certainly makes some sense. Rick, we were talking at the break. uh, You mentioned that, you know, I was suggesting that probably you're not quite as adventuresome as Rick or, or as Doug is uh, in terms of going to places like Cairo and, you know. Uh, and you said, well, yeah, you actually you are, uh, that you just want to be paid for that risk that you take. So, you know, from Cairo uh, and cattle to U.S. Treasuries, for goodness sakes, you get paid absolutely zip for U.S. Treasuries right now. Uh, we've had a bond market, a bull market in bonds since 1981 or 82. When is that thing going to end, Rick? Well, I don't know. At the top of your show, you mentioned uh, James Grant. Right. He's the one, at least as far as I know, that coined the term return-free risk. (laughs) Um, The idea that people are rushing to loan money to an entity that, at least on a cash basis rather than a cool basis, is bankrupt um, at rates of return of the type that you're talking about uh, to secure a currency that the government has acknowledged that they're doing their level best to lower the value of is astonishing to me. I mean, Geithner said the other day that their goal is to increase the general level of pricing by 25 or 3% per year compounded, which is a different way of saying that they want to debase the currency unit by 25 or 3% mm-hmm. a year. Although they're not efficient at many things, they have proven themselves to be absolutely masterful at um, lowering the value of the dollar on a going-forward basis. And for once in my life, I take them at their word. Mm-hmm. And taking them at their word and doing the math, um, the idea that you would buy uh, U.S. government obligations, uh, short or long term, particularly for the yields that are offered now, uh, absolutely boggles the mind. Um, having said that, there's many investment strategies over the last 20 years <laughs> that have 
worked without my participation, Jay. <laughs> well, that's probably true. Both of you guys have also participated in, um, you know, from the, from the bottom up in, in lots of markets, and that's why you're successful because you've been able to come in at times when others haven't been willing to. We had Gary Schilling on this show last week, and of course, Gary provides the ammunition. Uh, or, or the, the the thought process, I guess, for those who would still buy bonds, because he, well, Mr. Geithner may be looking to increase prices two and a half to three percent a year. Dr. Schilling is looking for prices to decrease by two and a half to three percent a year. And uh, you know, I mean, he he provides pretty interesting arguments along those lines. One, he mentions, he says that in the United States, unlike places like Zimbabwe or even uh, you know Germany's uh, Weimar Republic, we don't print money. We 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 put money into the uh, into the banking system and then it has to be lent out in order to 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 really cause serious uh, bouts of inflation on the other hand um, we know that money that goes into the banking system finds its way out into the commodities uh chen lin was telling us in the first uh, portion of today's show that jp morgan has uh, has acquired something like a year's supply of copper uh, later, Roger Wiegand was suggesting that he had read that, uh, in fact, Goldman Sachs was was um, was stockpiling huge amounts of copper as well. So, I mean, it's it's sort of sort of interesting, um, you know, where this thing is going to go. Um, it, it seems, in in one way, that it's like pushing on the string, like the 1930s almost. They're putting money into the system. They're trying to inflate. They are increasing prices through the commodities, it seems to hurt the common folks more than it does the wealthy people who are actually profiting from it. Any comments from, from either of you about that? Well, uh, I'll say I'd something like about that. the idea I, of deflation. I, I'm not an economist, and I certainly wouldn't attempt to um, debate the economy with Dr. Schilling. Uh, I'm a reasonably good credit analyst, mm-hmm. and the way I sort of run the math in the United States is that we've got a GDP in the what? 13T range, mm-hmm. uh, and aggregate savings this year will be in the sort of 4% of GDP range. Mm-hmm. So what does that give us, sort of $500 billion a year in savings? Mm-hmm. Uh, at the federal level, we have on-balance sheet liabilities approaching $14 trillion. So we have, uh, we have hopes to extinguish or service the federal debt, pardon me, by saving $500 billion a year against $14 trillion in on-balance sheet liabilities. Mm. This is before municipal and state and private debt. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the same time, it's estimated you know, by um, real libertarian radicals like the Congressional Budget Office <laughs> that uh, we have 50 or $60 trillion in off-balance sheet liabilities, principally entitlement programs. Mm-hmm. Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, stuff like that. It's also worth noting that in the last 20 years, our aggregate savings rate, uh, unlike this year where people are afraid, has been zero or sub-zero. So the idea that uh, these securities, these obligations of the U.S. government, uh, are somehow good investments when on-balance sheet and off-balance sheet liabilities total in the range of $80 trillion, and we're generating $500 billion a year in economic surplus to service them. While I'm not an economist, I'm enough of a lender, a mm-hmm. credit analyst, to say, you guys do what you want, but I'm not lending money on that credit. 
Mm-hmm. I just can't make the math work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're not being paid, obviously, for the risk that's involved with that. Doug, you you were going to say something. Uh, yeah, it's that the only way that we're going to have deflation, in other words, a situation where the dollar is worth more, yes, is if we have a is if we have a credit collapse, mm-hmm. and there are hundreds of billions of dollars that are are wiped out because of uh, bank failures or major corporate failures uh, that that are not bailed out by the government where they print more money up. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's going to happen. They're not going to let these big banks uh, fail mm-hmm. because, uh, because people have deposits in them. Now, mm-hmm. the whole system is corrupt from top to bottom, but I just don't see at this point how you can have a, a, a deflation. Mm-hmm. Well, and certainly we don't have it, do we? We, we have uh, John Williams, who keeps track of the inflation rate, uh, is probably much higher than the government suggest it is if you use the same measuring stick as was used during the previous years during Reagan and, and prior to that. Uh, but there is this notion of the propensity to consume. I mean, it seems to me that what's happened so far is the rich have gotten bailed out. The crony capitalists, the J.P. Morgans, the, the Goldman Sachs, you know, the, the, institu- the financial institutions. And it seems to me that what, what has happened is the money has gotten into these speculative commodities and not necessarily in demand uh, that is really driving the prices. So, you know, I guess it's, it, this is why we keep, we keep beating this dead horse. Uh, it's just, which way is this thing going to go does have an impact, but I, I gather both of you uh, are, are, you would certainly lean towards the inflation side, at least in terms of uh, uh, the debasing of the currency. I, I think that's hard, to, that's hard to refute that, that I would agree with that. Um, all right, so the dollar then should be headed south, right? We should be, how long is it going to last is the question. And again, we get back to this whole issue of the least worst, right? Is that what we're looking at with the dollar? And how long can it last as the world's reserve currency? Uh, Doug, any thoughts? Well, I don't think it can last. One of the problems is that, is that the dollar is used as backing for Almost all the other world currencies, they don't have anything in their vaults except uh, computer um, digits showing ownership of of dollars, usually in the form of of, of treasury assets. But that's going to come to an end uh, because there are something like seven trillion. That's probably an old number now. uh, U.S. dollars outside the U.S., and uh, nobody has to use them outside the U.S. It's strictly optional. At some point, there's going to be a panic, and those people are going to start dumping those dollars wholesale. And they'll all come back to the U.S., uh, which means that w- w- where they'll explode prices. Furthermore, uh, you've probably heard that since the Iranians uh, are, have been cut out of the, dollars, uh, the dollar banking system, which is run out of New York, uh, now they're cutting deals with people like the Indians to trade gold for oil. Mm-hmm. So I think that in the future, certainly in this generation, probably in the next 10 years, uh, we're going to go back to using gold for currency mm-hmm. in, in, in day-to-day transactions. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, then uh, certainly uh, we've heard that the story about India and also China and others and 
Um, you know, so so this would be the way to go. I mean, the United States is going to try to force its hand on the uh, on the geopolitics of the Middle East and Iran and uh, and so forth. And this is what we get, I guess. So. Uh, so the the gold price. I mean, I always hesitate to ask about the gold price. Where is it going? Because in my way of thinking, what you're doing is you're, me- you're measuring it using a very unreliable yardstick, namely the dollar. But I like to look at the price of gold relative to the Rogers Raw Materials Fund or other commodities and so forth. And what we've seen is a dramatic increase in the real price of gold since uh, since 2008. Uh, something from 17%, and now it's a gold would have purchased 17% of the Rogers Raw Material Fund before Lehman Brothers. It went to 44% and by March of 2009, came back a bit. But with the Greek crisis and the most recent European problems, we've seen it go as high as 47 or 48%. And with that, we've seen huge increase in uh, the uh, the mining profits. of uh, There's seven major gold mining companies that I follow that were in production doing doing very well before doing okay not very well before Lehman Brothers and actually they were sort of treading water but now the profits are rising very dramatically it's something like five and a half dollars or six dollars in earnings uh, back in 2008 to collectively to something like twenty eight dollars uh, projected next year and twenty two dollars this year so we've seen a dramatic increase in the profitability of the major gold mining companies yet we haven't seen their shares participate or, or follow along with those earnings. Uh, Rick, what are your thoughts on why the gold shares haven't really responded uh, to the underlying economics of the gold mining industry? Well, I think that's a very important note, Jay, and a good observation. Uh, I, I've thought a lot about this. Um, in the first instance, prior to 2008, the gold shares performed extremely well. And I think there was an awful lot of pricing in the gold stocks in anticipation of this increase in earnings that you talk about. Mm-hmm. The mining companies as corporations did not do well generating surplus cash in the period 2002 to 2008 with the gold price rising rapidly. Their internal cash flows didn't rise rapidly, and I don't believe that the gold mining companies' management themselves actually believed that the increase in gold prices was real mm-hmm. because they raised an awful lot of capital selling equity at prices that could arguably have been uh, argued were cheap. In other words, they inflated their share count. Mm-hmm. And yeah. investors, myself included, were extremely disappointed in the corporate performance of the gold companies. In the second instance, there was disintermediation out of gold stocks because one could buy gold in the form of paper, that is, ETFs. People could use their brokerage accounts to buy gold. They didn't have to physically get it and bury it in the backyard or put it in a safe deposit box or something like that. And it became very convenient for people to buy gold as a proxy for gold rather than gold stocks as a proxy for gold. What's interesting to me is that those factors have turned around. The gold stocks were expensive relative to gold in 2007, 2008, 2009, 2010. The gold stocks are not expensive. In some cases, they're cheap relative to the gold price now. In the second instance, as you point out, the gold mining companies are starting not just to make money, but to make lots of money. The huge Mm -hmm. capital investments that they put into increasing production in the last seven or eight years are bearing fruit, and they are increasing production. And the margins now are dramatically positive. So it's my assumption personally that given the fact that the gold stocks aren't expensive relative to gold and that they're performing, 
that the gold stocks will outperform the metal in the next 12 months. Mm-hmm. Doug, any thoughts on that as well? I, I second that emotion. I think Rick is absolutely right on that, on that score. Uh, it's, it's too bad that most of these gold companies really aren't very well managed, uh, quite frankly. I really wonder if they even believe in gold uh, as a, a product. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, we all recall uh, 10 years ago, they were all uh, uh, forward selling gold, and they mm-hmm. were doing that. Uh, idiotically, right at the bottom, furthermore. So I don't think most of these managements actually believe in the product. And like the managements of most big companies, this isn't true of all of them, but they're, they're, basically, they're basically bureaucrats. And the ones that aren't are, are engineers, which doesn't mean that they necessarily have any understanding of, of, uh, of economics. But um, still, all that being said, uh, I, I do think that uh, they're going to have their day in the sun. Rick is absolutely right on that. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm very, very friendly towards them. I just wish the ones that pay dividends would pay their dividends in gold directly right. as opposed to selling the gold, buying dollars, and then sending people dollars. I mean, why don't they just send the people the gold? If I ran a gold company, that's what I would do. Yeah, there are some companies that are, well, I don't know. If, yeah, there's, there's increasing numbers of companies that are talking about paying dividends, but paying in gold is a, is a rarity for sure. Uh, they're telling me I only have two more minutes. I can't believe this, and maybe I can squeeze out a couple more from David Wolfen, who's scheduled to come on next. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I would say that basically, you know, I, I believe that the CEOs of these major mining companies don't understand the product they're selling. We had, uh, maybe with the exception of uh, Gold Corp's uh, uh, McEwen a few years ago, I think understood it, and I've had yes, this conversation with him. Yes, he would definitely but, be one of the exceptions, right. Yep, he would be one of the exceptions, but most of them just look at it as a regular commodity, and I think we know some of the newsletter writers that we come across uh, from time to time that, that share the stage with us who sort of are, are Keynesians, really, and don't really understand what gold really is. Well, uh, we're going to squeeze a couple of extra minutes in here. What about silver? Doug and Rick, either of you guys uh, more bullish on silver than gold? Well, I'm more bullish on silver at this point, frankly. Uh, I don't like the fact that it's an industrial metal. Uh, Doug, you go first. I'm sorry, I should have called on you. Doug, you go first and we'll ask Rick. I work at a place called Sprott, and Eric Sprott is a noted silver bull. And he points out that the daily trading volumes of silver futures exceed by a hundredfold the amount of silver mined and produced on a daily basis. Mm. Um, and so that argues for extraordinary price moves. Um, I'm not the market specialist that Eric Sprott is. In terms of supply-demand fundamentals going forward, um, my suspicion is that the best precious metal in terms of market structure or metals are actually probably platinum and palladium rather than either gold or silver. But I would caution your listeners that gold is certainly the most liquid market if somebody mm-hmm. wants relative safety. Silver the most volatile market for somebody who wants to be a trader. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, uh, you know, I'm sort of a closet lender. And I, I look at aggregate supply demand and cost structure fundamentals, so I'm attracted to platinum and palladium. Mm-hmm. 
Interesting. Well, uh, we're going to be talking to David Wolfen after the break, and uh, he, of course, is a head of a company called Avino Silver and Gold, and uh, so I'm sure David will be somewhat partial towards silver. But, Doug, what are your thoughts on between the two precious metals, the two primary precious metals uh, that, are, that are thought of as money? I've got to go for silver uh, at this point because uh, it's, it, it's, uh, it's cheaper and Therefore, the average guy who's going to get very scared the next few years, when he starts thinking about the um, metals, people like cheap stuff. Whether that's intelligent or not, that's a different question. Mm -hmm. That's number one. Uh, what I don't like about silver, it's an industrial metal, and I think the economy could slow down. But then on the other hand, it's got a lot more industrial uses than gold does, and they're growing all the time. So, you know, you've got to balance all these things back and forth. But uh, one thing that's important is, I think, all uh, on all commodities, they maintain ratios between each other historically uh, because of costs of production. And you, it, it takes a long time for these ratios to change. And, and right now, the gold-silver ratio is skewed very much in the direction of gold. And I'm not saying that it has to go back to... Uh, the 16 or 17 to 1 that it was at for hundreds of years, but I suspect it'll move in that direction. So between the two of them, yeah, I like silver more. All right. Unfortunately, we're, we're out of time. I had uh, several more pages of questions to ask you two guys, and I, I, I hope we can maybe have you back again sometime. Uh, it's always fun listening to your thoughts, and, uh, and I think very, very helpful to our listeners. So I'm, I'm very grateful to both of you for coming on. Uh, tell us, uh, tell our listeners how they can track uh, what you're doing. Starting, uh, Rick, uh, could you tell our listeners how they can track uh, what you're doing? And you're you're working with Sprott now, so is there a website they should go to to avail themselves to your expertise? Yeah, the easiest way to follow us is go to www.sprottglobal.com. That's S-P-R-O-T-T-G-L-O-B-A-L. That's www.sprottglobal.com. And certainly uh, Eric Sprott is a friend and, uh, and understands what gold and silver is uh, as well as anybody, uh, you know, at that level, uh, certainly uh, in the among institutions in, in Canada and the U.S., uh, a very very decent guy, a person I've met a few times and, and really think the world of him. Uh, Doug, um, besides Cafe Jate, and I didn't even get a chance for you to talk about that today, your real estate project that is really a beautiful place down there, I visited it last year. How can people keep track of what you're doing? Well, uh, we have a website that we publish a, something every day, one day on oil and the energy markets, another day on the metals markets, uh, another day uh, I do an interview on the state of the world. And uh, so if they go to uh, caseyresearch.com, uh, they'll find that as a free blog. And uh, most people that get it think it's uh, very good reading. No, it is very good reading. I can attest to that. And your real estate project, uh, tell people how they can learn more about that. Ah, well, we have a resort that we've built in northwest Argentina, uh, which I believe, uh, I can accurately say, is the finest place to live on the planet at any price. And uh, they can investigate that by going to the site uh, cafejateliving.com. I have cafejate, I better spell that. 
C-A-F-A-Y-A-T-E, C-A-F-A-Y-A-T-E, living.com. So uh, that's it. Okay, excellent. Thank you, both of you guys, for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Uh, always a pleasure talking with you, and it's, especially when the two of you are together. I think it, it really, it, as one fund manager in Hong Kong told me last year, it's the best show we've had is when we have Casey um, uh, and Rule on together. So thank you, both of you. Folks, don't go away. We've got to go to a break here, and when we come back, we're going to talk to David Wolfen. You heard what Rick and Doug had to say about silver. Well, here is the CEO of a silver mining company, Avino Silver and Gold. David Wolfen will be back. Will be with us right after the break. Don't go away. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. American Bonanza Gold's Copperstone Project, located in Arizona, is on track for a fourth quarter 2011 mine and startup process with the goal of achieving full production by the end of the year 2011. American Bonanza is fully funded and permitted with no debit or hedge. The company has a clear strategy to create a highly profitable, mid-tier gold-producing company beginning in fourth quarter 2011. Join the current gold bull market. Be a part of a new gold producer in 2011. American Bonanza Gold Corp. Visit the website at American bonanza.com for more exciting information don't miss this great opportunity American Manganese Incorporated controls the largest deposit of manganese in the southwest United States, and their 43101 preliminary economic evaluation includes the potential to be the lowest cost producer of electrolytic manganese in the world. A National Instrument 43101 report of 13.8 billion pounds of indicated and 3.5 billion pounds inferred. Go to www.americanmanganeseinc.com. Rypatch Gold Corp. is an exploration company seeking to build a sizable inventory of gold and silver resource assets in mining-friendly Nevada, the world's fourth richest gold region. This well-funded company now has 1.2 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the measured and indicated category, plus 2.7 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the inferred category, with ongoing drilling to achieve a goal of 10 million ounces of gold. For more info on RPM, please visit our website at www www.rypatchgold.com Ladies and gentlemen, the reality is that exploration for mineral deposits is risky business, though the rewards for shareholders can be enormous. At Millrock Resources, we don't believe in risking your investment on a treasure hunt. We believe in leveraging shareholder capital to generate projects and partnering with mining giants such as Kinross, Ballet, Inmet, and Tech to fund our exploration in the mining-friendly states of Alaska and Arizona. By utilizing this business model, Millrock Resources increases the potential of finding economic gold and copper deposits and maximizing shareholder wealth. For more information, Please visit us at www.millrockresources.com or find us on the TSX Venture under MRO. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. 
If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me again David Wolfen. This time David is here to talk about a silver and gold company called Avino Silver and Gold. And you all heard what uh, Rick Rule and Doug Casey had to say about silver. They like gold a lot, but they uh, were both more uh, disposed towards silver at this point in time for the reasons that uh, that they gave. Uh, anyway... Uh, Avino Silver and Gold uh, trades now. It just recently uh, graduated to the New York Stock Exchange under the symbol ASM. It trades also on the Toronto Exchange under that same symbol, ASM. 26.9 million shares outstanding, an amazingly low number of shares outstanding for a company that is actually in production. Uh, a price of $1.85 earlier today gives it a market cap of slightly under $50 million. Welcome again, David. Really good to have you with me. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, it really is uh, always good to talk to you. And I always, when you and I talk, I always have to think back to your father, who I remember with such great fondness because, uh, well, he's, uh, you know, when I started writing my newsletter back in 1981, it was just a couple of years later than that that I learned to know your father, who has uh, really kept this story alive and has kept Avino alive uh, through all of those years, and it must be must be uh, quite gratifying to him to see his son um, head up this company, uh, Avino Silver and Gold, and graduate to the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, your dad must really be happy about all that. Yes, he is. Thank you. I appreciate that. And congratulations to you and and your father and all the team there for uh, for this milestone. Of course, now we're going to be looking to see how well. The company is performing. It goes back to 1974. Well, it actually goes way back before, beyond that. The the the, uh, the mine that you're operating went back. Uh, it's located near Durango, Mexico. Went back to the uh, 19 uh, to the 1500s, I guess, when the Spanish discovered it. Right. That's right. I've heard the it was Francisco Ibera from Cortez's army that found it in 1558. Well, it was a, <laughs> a tremendous uh, discovery. Um, it, and it went into production then more recently in modern times in 1974, yeah, uh, for 27 years or so. Yes. Uh, tell us about that period. How much metal was produced and, and how, how did that work out? Uh, well, we started at a smaller rate, 250 tons per day, um, and uh, we operated the mine from 74 to 1990 at that rate, and then we boosted the capacity to 1,000 tons per day. And it went to 2001, and it closed due to low metal prices. So we produced about 16 million ounces of silver, um, I think just under 100,000 ounces of gold, and about uh, uh, 24 to 25 million pounds of copper. Hmm. All right. Then, uh, so then you closed it down because of the low prices and, and those uh, and the smelter, I think, right? You said. So, yes. Um, in 2006, though, you started cranking it back up again, and yep. now you are in production. The name of the mine, I believe, is is it the San Gonzalo? Gone. That's the name. It was a mine about 300 years ago. It's within our claim boundaries. Mm-hmm. We have a geological window, and there's all kinds of veins that come up in this window. 
uh, Avino, the Avino mine is one, the San Gonzalo mine is another one. So they all lay within our claim boundaries. So that's the one we're starting on. Mm-hmm. And you're looking at vein, it's, a, it's really the, it's a high-grade vein system, I guess you're talking about. Yeah, right? from 2006 to 2008, we did um, 30,000 meters of drilling or 100,000 feet of drilling, and we intersected below the old workings um, from 1,000 grams to 5,000 grams of silver and up to 23 grams of gold. Mm. So we decided in 2008 during the financial uh, uh, meltdown on the global markets to focus on that area. And uh, we put in 40 holes and drilled up about 5 million ounces of uh, uh, resource and about 40,000 ounces of gold. And we, we decided that that would justify about a five-year mine life if we refurbished the original circuit from the 70s. That's mm-hmm. a smaller 250-ton-a-day circuit. Mm-hmm. And that's what we refurbished from 2008 to August 2010 when we announced that we commissioned the mill. Mm-hmm. So you're so you're running that mill now, right? That's correct. Yep. And you ran before you crank before you started commercial production. You did do a 10,000 ton bulk sample, I believe. How did that yes. grade? And it worked out well. Um, <clears throat> Um, we produce silver f- equivalent for seven dollars and sixty-two mm. uh, cents per per ounce, mm-hmm. um, and if you just look at the, the the silver on its own, it's just over eight dollars per ounce. So, so it made money. We had it independently verified uh, by Wardrop Engineering. They gave us the green light to go ahead with our mine reopening plan. The silver recovery rates on that were a little bit less than what we anticipated, 59% for gold and 76% for six, for silver. But we were up near the surface, and it's oxidized. So typically mm. oxidized ore does not recover well under flotate, flotation mm-hmm. methods. Mm-hmm. Um, the high-grade uh, uh, intercepts that I mentioned a moment ago are below the old mine, so when we... And their and their sulfides, mm-hmm. and we had those tested, and we achieved ninety three percent. So as as the ramp gets down to that area, our mm-hmm. grade goes up, and the recovery rate should go up. Mm-hmm. And how soon do you expect to get there? We're on level three right now. We have two crews. Level three is is drifting and stoping on level three, and uh, we have another crew ramping down to level four, which will intersect in the next uh, couple months. Um, so it, it's going to be several months before we get all the way down to the bottom, uh, level mm-hmm. five. <clears throat> and keep in mind, it's still open. We we stopped drilling in 2008 due to the um, global markets, not sure. for, for geological reasons. So there's still potential at depth. Mm-hmm. Well, you mentioned your cost of, uh, I think, $8 on silver alone and 762 with credits. Does that factor in the sulfides and higher recoveries, or is that what you're getting now with the lower recoveries and the... Um uh, That's what we're getting now. Is that right? So it so, should improve so on a per ounce better, basis. better results when we get deeper. Mm-hmm. And your mining now is underground as well, right? Yes. Yeah. So right it's now all we've been totally under, we've been underground. The mill with old uh, above ground stockpiles, and mm-hmm. we pulled out uh, about uh, fifteen thousand tons uh, in level uh, level two, and so level three will add another. 20,000 tons or so. So we figure in the middle of this year we'll transition over and start processing the high-grade um, San Gonzalo ore. And for about, we'll, we'll do that for about three months, and then we can de- declare that we're in commercial production probably by the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. Uh, very interesting story. You have, um, as you say, stockpiles there to process as well. Your goal is to become a multi-million ounce producer 
in the yeah. next three to four years, how are you going to get there? And well, I, I should ask you first of all, how much do you expect to produce this year? How much silver or silver silver equivalent? Uh, that's a good question. I don't have those exact numbers because yeah. it's erratic because of the uh, stockpile we're, we're putting through the mill sure, at sure. this moment. But um, uh, we think it should be around uh, three or four, probably about three hundred thousand ounces. I think. Okay, good start. And with those kind of margins, you should be cash flow positive at least on an operating basis. Yeah, yeah. And there'll be some gold, and there was some copper in the old stockpiles as well. Yeah, I noticed some. You've had some pretty high uh, gold gold numbers, but um, before I get to that, uh, if we have time, uh, I see my engineers telling me we have four minutes. Okay. Uh, you have stated your goal is to become a multi-million ounce annual producer in the next three to four years. How do you propose to achieve that? Well, we have two other areas to expand on. One is the old Aveno mine itself, which is flooded and. Mm-hmm. We're just wrapping up a new long-term agreement with the landowners. We don't own two claims there. Everywhere else, we own 100%. We're hoping that that uh, will be ratified and notarized uh, in the next week or so, and then we can go ahead with our permitting and dewatering and um, uh, re- re- uh, reconfiguring the plant a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have a, a timeline on that we're working on. Um, it's probably going to take about a year and a half to get everything up and running again. Um, so probably late 2013, we should have that commissioned and online. And when that um, closed in 2001, we produced 900,000 ounces of silver, 7,900 ounces of gold, and 3.5 million pounds of copper out of the old Aveno mine. So we anticipate it's going to be the same because mm-hmm. uh, we just stopped similar. mining on the on the level 11th um, and uh, and it flooded from there, so we're just going to pick up from there. Mm-hmm. I've noticed you have had some uh, some pretty pretty darn good uh, silver grades. I see uh, on the San Gonzalo, um, yes, a two six point twenty one grams per ton. You just reported. Uh, well, this is in mid January, I guess, over two and a half meters. So you are getting some pretty good gold grades, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, we drilled a few holes at depth just to see if the mineralization continues and if we can find the feeder zone, and that's what we hit. So yeah. we know it goes down deeper. Very interesting. So and, then, and then the next area after that is the tailings. The tailings from the 70s and 80s had poor recovery rates, or the mine had poor recovery rates because we were mining oxidized ore from the open mm-hmm. pit. Mm-hmm. We were only getting 55% recovery rates at that time. Mm-hmm. So we estimate there could be anywhere from 8 to 10 million ounces of silver in the tailings, um, specifically about six in the oxides. Mm-hmm. And we've had an engineering scoping study um, we did in 2006. That's being updated and should be out within about a month. And um, we, we've we had it tested for heap leaching, and it works. Wow. So that's going to be our our other area that we'll, uh, we'll probably commission. It'll probably be by the end of 2013. It's a mm-hmm. big operation. Mm-hmm. Well, lots to look forward to. Uh, anything else you'd like to tell our listeners before we... Well, I'm saying our new motto is three million in three years. So I hope that we can be a three million ounce a year producer in three years. And um, you know, just listening to your previous uh, chat, you were talking to Rick Rule, who's with Sprott. Well, they're our largest shareholder. They own twenty percent of Avino. Mm-hmm. Well, it certainly uh, says something for your project, no doubt about that. And and when you have the kind of margins that you're talking about here. 
you know, with what $35 silver or so and and six, seven, eight dollar production cost, uh, it certainly is. Uh, it certainly helps. And and congratulations to you and your father and the management of your company for keeping the share numbers down so low. I think this is something that's very, very important, and I know that uh, the Wolfen family definitely has an interest in doing that because you guys were early shareholders, and that's always important too, folks, to try to understand the management. If they own, if their interests are aligned with yours, it's always very, very important uh, to see that uh, be the case. David, I want to thank you very much for coming on. We'll look forward to talking to you again sometime soon. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And say hello to your father for me. I will. Thank you very much. All the best. Uh, Folks, don't go away. I'm going to be back uh, with a brief wrap-up on today's show and uh, tell you a little bit about next week's guest. So don't go away. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. American Bonanza Gold's Copperstone Project, located in Arizona, is on track for a fourth quarter 2011 mine and startup process with the goal of achieving full production by the end of the year 2011. American Bonanza is fully funded and permitted with no debit or hedge. The company has a clear strategy to create a highly profitable, mid-tier gold-producing company beginning in fourth quarter 2011. Join the current gold bull market. Be a part of a new gold producer in 2011. American Bonanza Gold Corp. Visit the website at American bonanza.com for more exciting information don't miss this great opportunity American Manganese Incorporated controls the largest deposit of manganese in the southwest United States, and their 43101 preliminary economic evaluation includes the potential to be the lowest cost producer of electrolytic manganese in the world. A National Instrument 43101 report of 13.8 billion pounds of indicated and 3.5 billion pounds inferred. Go to www.americanmanganeseinc.com. Rypatch Gold Corp. is an exploration company seeking to build a sizable inventory of gold and silver resource assets in mining-friendly Nevada, the world's fourth richest gold region. This well-funded company now has 1.2 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the measured and indicated category, plus 2.7 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the inferred category, with ongoing drilling to achieve a goal of 10 million ounces of gold. For more info on RPM, please visit our website at w www.rypatchgold.com Ladies and gentlemen, the reality is that exploration for mineral deposits is risky business, though the rewards for shareholders can be enormous. At Millrock Resources, we don't believe in risking your investment on a treasure hunt. We believe in leveraging shareholder capital to generate projects and partnering with mining giants such as Kinross, Ballet, Inmet, and Tech to fund our exploration in the mining-friendly states of Alaska and Arizona. By utilizing this business model, Millrock Resources increases the potential of finding economic gold and copper deposits and maximizing shareholder wealth. For more information, please visit us at www.millrockresources.com or find us on the TSX Venture under MRO. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. 
back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Well, it certainly was a pleasure talking with uh, Doug Casey and Rick Rule. Uh, those two gentlemen always have a lot of, of insights that I think are very, very valuable. Uh, it was also good to uh, touch base with uh, Roger Wiegand again and um, get his take on some of the technical aspects of, of some of these markets. I uh, uh, And Chen Lin, of course, always. Uh, always good to hear from Chen. Uh, he and I traveled and together and had a lot of time together in the Southwest visiting a couple of mining projects. Uh, it's it's always uh, interesting to note uh, Chen is more of an inflationist. I think both Rick and Doug are more uh, leaning towards the inflation side. It really is important to keep in mind uh, that that it really does matter this issue of inflation or deflation, which way things are resolved. We know there's going to be some major. I would even use the word cataclysmic resolution to this horrible financial pathology that's been brought upon us by getting rid of gold and going to endless amounts of debt money, printing press money, which is really liability money instead of an asset money. We are in big trouble. There's going to be a lot of pain and suffering, and those that understand it and see it coming and are not brainwashed by the propaganda machine will be in much better shape to uh, to withstand what's ahead of us. I would just mention that in a hyperinflationary environment, owning mining companies, silver, gold, whatever, probably won't work out that well in many cases because your costs can go up faster than the price of the product. On the other hand, we've seen it happen. In a credit deflation, we've seen the real price of gold rise dramatically. And as we talked about earlier, huge profits accruing to the major gold mining companies. And that's true of some of the smaller companies, too, that are on our list that we're starting to talk about more on this show as they start to produce with the margins the real price of gold rising dramatically and this is true with silver as well rising dramatically since the Lehman Brothers decline this is very very bullish and I would say that if we're in a if the credit deflation continues and as Bob Hoy has said on this show it's likely to continue for another many years ahead then we should have some very good profits accruing to gold mining companies I think it was Rick Rule uh, that suggested that we are likely to see a real strong rise in the share prices uh, as a result of the huge amount of profits that are accruing now to the major to the major gold mining companies um, and uh, you know where we go with things like manganese Chen was talking about his he's very bullish on tungsten and manganese Chen's a brilliant investor he no doubt has his reasons he uh, and I always like to listen to what Chen has to say because you know you follow those people that are successful Chen Lin uh, you know, Doug Casey, Rick Rule, and his host of other people that we have on the show from time to time as well. That's, uh, it always makes sense to, to follow the winners, I think, uh, the jockeys that, that are successful. They're the ones you want to follow. So I would also mention, though, that in terms of investing in gold shares, I still think the best bet a lot of times is for the project generators because they keep the number of shares down and they uh, diversify portfolios and they keep the uh, they they uh, avoid putting their own money into projects let other people do that uh and so sandstorm also is a royalty company as i mentioned is a favorite of mine well that's all the time we have i do need to mention though that next week we're going to have a very interesting guest chuck baldwin uh he is a christian minister who actually thinks that ron paul is the best person to have uh for president and that's sort of uh, different because uh, ron paul is also of course uh, endorsed by, um, you know, some less reputable people than Christian ministers, let's put it that way. Also, we are, are going to have Rye Patch Gold with us. They were going to be on today. 
they had an important meeting. They could not uh, be on the show, but next week we will have them with us as well. I want to thank uh, our uh, my executive producer, Tacey Trump, and Justin Jackman, my engineer, for making the show logistically possible. Thanks to each of you for listening. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.